From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. When we last spoke with Tony Lane in October, the managing director and principal at the Minneapolis office of architecture firm Perkins & Will talked about retaining talent, receiving an AIA award, and the core values at his Minneapolis office. The world has changed since then. Much of Lane's focus has been on work for corporate clients, including renovation and repositioning work of office buildings. Some of his projects include the repositioning of the AT&T Tower in downtown Minneapolis, the expansion and renovation of Land O'Lakes Arden Hills headquarters, and the conversion of a mid-century single-tenant office building at 3701 YZ Boulevard in Minneapolis into a multi-tenant office building. Lane. 42, grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and earned a master's degree in architecture at the University of Minnesota. He currently lives in Bloomington with his wife and their son. Reporter Matt Johnson caught up with Lane to talk about the evolving nature of design. Lane sees a future in which his work advances the integration of technology into a workplace that is both mobile and office-centered. Commercial office space will continue to have a solid place in the work world but more as a place where people choose to be together rather than a place they are required to go every day. Tony Lane, a managing director and principal at the Minneapolis office of the architecture firm Perkins & Will, has had a hand in some of the more prominent repositioning projects in the Twin Cities in recent years. Those projects have helped landlords increase their rent yield and have given new uses to old buildings. He's also been quite involved in a number of other corporate projects. Tony Lane, thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Matt. It's good to talk with you again. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you got into your line of work? Sure. Um, you know, I, uh, I kind of always knew I wanted to uh, be an architect uh, from the time I was a, a little kid. Um, I was always the kid drawing uh, in the back of class, and um, and actually growing up, my grandfather built sailboats, and um, so I spent a lot of time doing woodworking and, and working on these sailboats, and um, the sailboat was this perfect blend of art and science, and that's what I always thought architecture was, um, design, you're kind of working to get all, there's no, there's nothing superfluous in a, in a sailboat, it's all necessary and there for a reason, and that's um, how I always felt about um about architecture was the opportunity to kind of put things together the way they should be, to design them to be beautiful and functional. Um, and so that's how I uh, decided to get into architecture. Um, and then uh, uh, did did my, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma uh, and did my uh, Bachelor of Architecture at Oklahoma State and then uh, immediately relocated uh, to Minneapolis after that and have been here uh, for 20 years and have been with, uh, been with Perkins and Will almost that entire time. Um, I started as an intern there and, um, have, 
at one point or another had had <laughs> just about every job in the place and um, and now have the uh, the honor of uh, of leading our studio. So the Twin Cities has seen a, a lot of um, older space come to the market um, and landlords picking it up to uh, change its use. Um, curious how you came to have an area of special interest in designing, uh, repositioning and renovation projects for office space, you know, along with all the other work that you do. Sure. Um, so, uh, one of my, uh, sort of interests and areas of focus, uh, was, was always sustainability and sustainable design. Um, I did a, a master's of architecture, uh, and a master's of science and sustainability at the university of Minnesota. Um, once I was up here and, um, and sustainability being a key focus of that, uh, the repositioning work to me is just another extension of that, of that kind of thinking. Um, there's a lot of really, really, um, it's a lot of, of, of resource and value in a lot of the existing building stock. Uh, and the idea of taking that and making it full again, taking that and making it um, functional again, taking that and bringing it into kind of our current century um, was really interesting to me. And it was an interesting design problem because it's not um, – not so much the style part of it uh, that that was interesting, um, but the idea that here's a here's a building that you know used to have uh, great value and function now uh, you know it maybe doesn't, and it's really just because folks don't see the opportunity uh, to to transform it into kind of what you know what it should be for the next fifty years. So the idea of instead of you know tearing down the that. Uh, losing those resources and starting over, um, how can we really transform it uh, to be, you know, functional, beautiful, um, and relevant in the 21st century? Um, and so that's uh, been an exciting piece of, of that. Um, I, I got into that, uh, it was probably 10 years ago or so, um, when we first started really looking heavily at um, how to help um, some of these projects and buildings with, with landlords. Um, it's evolved, you know, even since then, uh, from the, the work we had done at Capella Tower downtown, um, which was really transformative. It, it changed the way people entered that building. It changed the, it, it acknowledged different um, traffic flows. It, um, you know, the idea of uh, taking space that was underutilized and making it super functional um, was a, a great kind of leap uh, there. And then, you know, just kind of continuing that as a trend and thinking about how are we really designing for experience? How are we designing for new ways that people are working? Um, you know, now that folks aren't tethered to their desk anymore because of the technology, you have the opportunity to work um, work anywhere, the coffee shop or the at home or, uh, you know, the hotel lobby. Um, and that's, that's one of the ways that a lot of these repositions um, start to bring value is to start to, you know, include those kinds of functions as a part of a lobby or a part of a, uh, a building amenity um, that, you know, helps to draw or attract new tenants and, and, and uh, new users. Um, so that continued to evolve. It, it, it still continues to evolve. We're, we're excited to be working on several of these projects right now, um, you know, here in the Twin Cities. And, um, and you know, it's interesting, too, the, uh, it, it informs those kinds of projects or, you know, the, the trends that we see uh, are happen across 
projects, whether it's with repositioning work or it's with ground up architecture, you know, work is evolving. The way we work is evolving and designing for experience as being a driver in all of that, whether it's a brand new building, um, you know, for Land O'Lakes uh, as a new corporate headquarters, or if it's a, you know, a reposition of a, of an existing building, the old, um, you know, Prudential uh, building out on um, 394 that, that was Target Corporate West for a long time. Um, that building set for two years. Um, we worked closely with uh, Opus uh, and the development group there in repositioning that, turning it into a multi-tenant building uh, and making it really function dramatically different than it did originally. At the same time, there's a lot of great resources there, uncovering those, um, making them uh, bigger and and uh, and bolder, taking advantage of that and making it real functional for for users, um, you know. Now, uh, because we're able to work on kind of both sides of the equation, um, whether it's the architecture or and the um, reposition, or it's the landlord and the TI, um, you know, those those needs and those trends are all kind of um, common themes that we can put into a project and push it forward. So. Uh, it's been an exciting, exciting segment of work. I think it will only continue to grow. I mean, the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the demand to, to take, uh, you know, buildings that are obsolete and turning them into something that isn't, I think there's, that's where there's a great value proposition, whether it's for an owner or for a user. And, um, and so we, uh, continue to see that market, um, grow and we're, you know, we enjoy, we enjoy helping to, to rethink the way things work. Recognizing that all these buildings are quite different uh, in where they started out and when they were built, um, and at the risk of oversimplifying, could you tell me what perhaps some of the the big challenges are of of this of repositioning and remodeling work for uh, these spaces uh, are uh, versus new ground up design? Sure, um, and I I would actually. I'd maybe position it as a challenge and an opportunity, right? Because there's, there's kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, in a, uh, in a new build, uh, you really have, I mean, there's certainly constraints on a new build, whether it's budget or site, but you do have a lot of latitude to control all aspects of, of how it's working. In a, in a reposition, I mean, there's a lot that's there and set for you. There's a lot of constraints already on that project. And whether that's, you know, when the building was built and the style that it was built in, um, or, you know, the, the way it currently functions or the, you know, intense, you know, structural, uh, demands of, of something, there's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot of constraints on that. And the, the key or the secret to, you know, the repositioning work in the way we approach it is how do you, um, how do you take what's there, uh, understand it, uncover it and make it both functional and and really really cool again, um, and sometimes it's really hard because uh, in a building that was built in you know the late '90s and it's you know postmodern and it's you know salmon colored granite and light blue you know painted metal and uh, you know there's a very distinctive style there. You have to really think about you know how do you because you can't just tear everything out and start fresh. So how do you take that and leverage it and make it make it seem seem cool and relevant and also make the 
you know, the changes that you're making not seem like a sort of alien spaceship has landed in the middle of this old building. Um, so how is it really transformative holistically? Um, and so like at, out at, um, you know, as mentioned, the old, the, the previous target building 3701 why that project was built late fifties. Um, you know, stylistically very much seemed like that. Uh, so there's, there's a vibe there, you know, and functionally it was a single user for all of that time. We needed to tra- transition it to be a multi-tenant user. Um, but there's a lot of really great resource there too. There's a lot of, you know, great stone, great material, stone and, and metal and, and uh, terrazzo and, you know, stuff that's in that building that you wouldn't be able to afford if you were building a building today. Um, a lot of these buildings are like that. So, um, you know, kind of looking past the stylistic issues that exist in them right now, uh, and then thinking about how to turn those into opportunities, leverage them into being something, you know, uh, useful and cool again. Um, I'd say was would be kind of one of the big challenges and opportunities. Um, you know, and, and each one is different. The, um, you know, the 801 Marquette um, reposition we did, which is the old TCF uh, building downtown, you know, the, you know, dark brick, very, very 70s and 1970s uh, vibe, um, you know, working to really rethink that atrium, you know, rethink the big, you know, archway balconies on the outside of the building and enclose those to add rentable square footage. So like uncovering those opportunities and, and turning them into, uh, turning those uh, challenges into assets, uh, I think would be a, you know, that's maybe maybe one of the key uh, pieces. The other thing is in a lot of these projects, you end up spending a lot of money on stuff that, um, that no one ever really sees, but if it doesn't work, there's gonna be a problem. So, you know, they're all, they've, usually got old mechanical systems, old electrical systems. They've got, there's a lot of work there that has to be done that's sort of behind the scenes. So thinking about how you're thinking about budget in a way that allows you to, you know, make things kind of function and just be baseline. And then also still, you know, do all of the things that you want to do to reposition it and make it cool again. It's really going to attract people. Um, you know, I'd say balancing those things would be another kind of key challenge or, or way to think about it. And then the last piece, um, you know, there's really three components to any of these projects. You know, you, you change the building, and uh, that's kind of what what I've been talking about with kind of the architecture piece and the style piece. The, the, but you got to change the brand, too, and that's really the story. You know, what what is the new narrative for this project, and how is it different than what it was? How do you really change the way that people um, perceive this thing because most of the people you're trying to attract to this thing, they've had a relationship with that building for years because they know it exists and it's probably not a really good perception or a good thought on it. So you got to overcome that with a new brand, a new narrative, a new story. So you change the building, you change the brand, and then ultimately you're looking to change the experience. And that's where it's not just sort of the, the infrastructure or the parts and pieces of it, but how does this thing live over time? So, you know, are you uh, programming uh, different events that are going to be a part of uh, the life of this building? Are you organizing, uh, really organizing and helping this thing to become a living, breathing organism? Um, and and that ultimately drives, you know, overall value, if you can, if you can kind of capture those three things. So we've been talking about generally office space, um, and we're here right now in sort of the beginning days of the COVID-19 crisis. Both you and I are working from home today. Um, Just to to address that issue, um, 
finance and commerce, we've talked to some experts in the past couple of weeks um, in the design field uh, who say that COVID-19 might speed up some changes to how we do our office work, uh, whether it be through you know, doing more remote working, working from home. Uh, given this, do you see more office repositioning work down the road and, that might be affected by this? And, and how reduced in the office employee counts might change how you do your work? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question, and especially in kind of what is still relatively early days of, of this. You know, I think, you know, if you if you look if you look back in history, sort of disruptive events, um, crisis always drive innovation. Um, there's always something coming out the other end of it that isn't quite what we expected, um, but it 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 is. Um, you know, there's a sort of an, an interesting change to the to the, to the world. Um, I do think that this will, um, you know, increase the adoption of certain technologies, whether that's uh, the ability to work remote or the ability to be mobile. Um, ourselves, you know, at Perkins and Will, we were um, we were kind of already on the front end of the curve here in that our our entire workspace is mobile. All of our people are mobile. Um, you know, you don't have an assigned seat or a desk. We have a lot of diversity of seating and, and ways to work in the studio, uh, and you kind of pick you know, pick the place for your, for your day. Um, we also have a lot of folks that are, um, occasionally when it makes sense working from home or working from somewhere else that's remote, um, including myself. And that was always the case. So, um, when this happened, you know, the ability to mobilize and be, you know, take a 70 person studio or the larger Perkins and well, a 2,800 person firm. And really within a matter of hours, be working entirely remotely um, was was pretty amazing to me, um, and it and it go relatively smoothly. I mean, there's a few bumps in the road along the way, but we're we're basically up and running right now, uh, full speed ahead, uh, and in some ways now helping our clients to, to get get to a similar spot. Um, that said, you know what is the, what does it mean uh, when we come out the other end of this? You know, your question on on how does it change and and what do we do? You know, I think I think it may actually do two things. I do think it it probably is hastening or at least requiring the adoption of some technology that didn't exist or that existed, but maybe we hadn't all embraced as heavily before. So the video conferencing, um, you know, the kind of uh, the, the uh, network and cloud and computing power to do the kind of things we do remotely, um, I think is is being forced upon us now and is happening fast. Um, at the same time, I think it's also uh, illustrating for us all the value um, when we can be face to face and in a room together. And so I think that um, I think this will actually kind of highlight two things. One, you know, let's be remote, let's work remote when we when we need to and when it makes sense. And let's be together and celebrate that and work hard together when we need to be together. So, you know, do I think the office building is going away because of this? No, absolutely not. I think, um, I think in fact, it uh, is in some ways even more important because you don't actually have to be there anymore. And this will even prove that to a, to a bigger extent. So then the, then the reason to be there is going to be because you want to be there. And it's going to be because you're going to come together with others. Uh, and so having space that supports those kinds of collaborative endeavors, um, I think will be even more sort of highlighted uh, because 
potentially the ability to do the the more focused heads down individual work will really be able to to occur you know whether it's at your home office or somewhere else um it'll be able to, to happen elsewhere so um so i do think it may think cause us to think a little differently about space i think it certainly hastens adoptions of technology um but i i don't see this being sort of the uh the the end of the office and us all just you know, flipping to this other end of an expect of a spectrum where we're all constantly remote and isolated and individual. I I think I think in a lot of ways this highlights why we need to be together when we need to be together, and it'll make that even more important. I have uh, one last question here, and I've I've asked it in the past of others, but um, it takes on uh, a little different flair. Uh, this is the first time I've asked it of someone who's transitioned to uh, working uh, from home. Tell me what you like to do in your time away from work. I mean, particularly considering work is right there in your house now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, You know, it it is kind of strange days. And for me, uh, I've, I've, I've worked and I've got, you know, my, my son is here doing homeschool. My wife is here doing telehealth. Uh, she's in the mental health care profession. And so, you know, and I'm kind of running an architecture studio out of, out of our, you know, so there's a lot going on. Um, and what we've really tried to do is put some parameters around that uh, so that our work day is our work day and, and the rest is something else. Um, because if not, you know, especially with the amount of stuff that's going on right now, that can really start to bleed into um, all, all, you know, it can be all, all consuming, all encompassing, and you end up with sort of this gray mush of, of life instead of having kind of clear focused, you know, work and, you know, clear focused, uh, you know, not work or uh, sort of family time or other stuff. Um, so that said, what do, what do I like to do? Um, you know, I, uh, I had mentioned um, growing up, uh, we did a lot of woodworking. Uh, we built boats. Um, I still enjoy that. I still enjoy. I, I've got a small shop here um, in my uh, my house that I uh, enjoy building furniture and and doing woodworking. Um, I also like to sketch and paint. Kind of the other sort of typical things you would expect an architect to like to do. Um, you know, it's all of those things. But um, but yeah, when I when I have the time and the ability to commit. Uh, the, the time to get out in the shop and make some dust and, and at the end of it, hopefully have a piece of something beautiful that's useful um, is a kind of a, maybe a smaller scale or a more controllable version of what I do in my professional life. Um, and uh, so I, I, I love that kind of kind of creative endeavor. Uh, I find to be um, kind of rejuvenating, relaxing uh, outside of outside of work. Well, Tony Lane, thank you again for taking the time today to talk with with finance and commerce. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.